So on Monday nights, we're beginning this investigation of the ox herding pictures, uh, which in a way is a seemingly ridiculous thing to do, where um, in a way, I mean, in a way you could say that about uh, Buddhist practice or Zen practice or this thing we call practice awakening, where we're looking for what we already are. And we're studying what we already know on a deep level. And we're remembering our way back home. So these um, depictions of the ox herder is uh, a process of what we call awakening in the Zen tradition. And these teachings are showing us a little bit more about the process of it. Because sometimes we can forget that it is also a process, that we are also human beings who have stages of development that we go through. So last week we started with the first of the ox herding pictures, which is sometimes called the search or arousing bodhicitta. And I find myself whenever we're working with a stage model, wanting to like keep grounding in the foundational steps. Because I know my own mind is like, well, let's get to stage 10 because that's where I want to be. And let's talk about that. And we can skip all the other beginner stuff. But the, the beginner's stuff is the foundation of our practice, which we keep coming back to. We keep coming back to. So, so much of this one that we call the search or arousing bodhicitta is this connection to motivation. And motivation can be slippery, right? We have lots of parts and lots of voices and um, motives in there. And so like reconnecting with the Dharma motive, you know, and feeling, oh, what is that? You know, what is that today? We talked about last week, um, some of the traditional ways of connecting to uh, motivation for a Dharma practice. And these can be helpful. I think these can be helpful, especially when motivation feels dry or maybe you're in between. Like, like there was an old motivation that was really fueling practice and that kind of dried up or isn't, isn't serving you anymore. And like there isn't quite like a new motivation yet. It's still budding or it's inarticulatable or you haven't quite found it, which can be a time sometimes of like spiritual crisis. Like, wait, do I still want to do this? Or like, what is important to me in the Dharma? So these traditional contemplations are you know, ways of reminding us what Dharma practice is. And I think that can be helpful because sometimes we bring a lot of our ideals and illusions to Dharma practice and our own timelines of what should be happening to Dharma practice. But Dharma practice is ongoing. It's meeting, you know, this continuous meeting the stuff of our lives, which, you know, sometimes is meeting, you know, our own 
uncertainty and doubt and fear and heartache and blame and tendency to look to others for um, how to do it right or advice or whatever. And so we're like meeting, you know, we're meeting this gestalt of ourselves and we're also meeting the world and we're meeting Sangha and we're meeting the situations of our lives which are always so interconnected. So the traditional contemplations, I'll just summarize them. The first one is remembering or recollecting that samsara is inherently unsatisfactory. And that's really like meant to be studied on this like intimate moment to moment mind level. It's not so helpful to study on this meta level or to like tell other people that that's why they're suffering and they should just let it go because samsara is inherently unsatisfactory. But it's looking at like how we build up cases or try to make samsara work. And one, one definition of samsara that one of my teachers shared with me is samsara, when it's not working, it's working. When it's not working, it's working. Which is so true. And like, like, actually, this is like a helpful mantra when it's not working. Right? Like when you did all the things you were supposed to do and you still feel like X, Y, Z. Or the relationship is still not working or, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, you tried all the things. It's like, well, actually, like we live in a conditioned body. It will fall apart. We can hold it together as best we can with different healing modalities and wellness routines. And still, it is of the nature to get sick. It is of the nature to get injured. It is of the nature to eventually fall apart. And, you know, and, and same with all of conditioned existence. And this isn't meant to be like, don't work for justice or don't, you know, try to make the conditions of your life or your relationships more harmonious. But it's just a reminder, like helpful to hold in the back of our minds or sometimes in the front, that there's no way to get it all to work in the whatever idea we have of what working is or should be. So I find this this a helpful one as I live my life, especially outside of the monastery. And then the second one has a more positive spin. It's remembering, like recollecting and and studying the Dharma, like reminding ourselves of the teachings. It's so easy to forget. The teachings can be, you know, very subtle and they're like really inviting us to look into our conditioning and to see beyond our fixed views and so and, and and to see through our habits and so it's really easy to take to like read a teaching and then forget about it and keep doing our habitual way and so we need to keep 
taking in teachings, which is like, you know, why we come, why we host Dharma gatherings, you know, why we talk about the Dharma regularly. Yeah. And, you know, at the monastery is like, continue, you are receiving teachings continuously and still, and still you could find yourself for days in some kind of mind made suffering loop. Like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually listening to the teachings. I'm just doing what I want to do. So like, you know, this regularly, I mean, there's a, a way in which even studying the teachings is like a practice of surrendering habitual view, self-centered view. And then other aspects of you know, connecting to the Dharma is connecting to the qualities of awakening, the qualities of the Buddha, connecting to remembering that the Dharma is pointing us to the realm beyond conceptuality. You know, so often we want to know and we use our thinking minds and that's important, that's an important aspect of Dharma and the Dharma is pointing us to also a realm beyond concept. And when we really allow ourselves to empty out, new ways of being can emerge. Wisdom, insight, compassion. And then another motivation is connecting to the heart of compassion. And, you know, for many of us, that is like seeing, bearing witness, experiencing the suffering in the world or the suffering in our own lives and, you know, resolving, like from that, there can just be this beautiful, like resolution of, you know, however it's articulated, maybe it's more of a felt sense, like I want to really be able to respond with wisdom and compassion. I want to live a wholehearted life. I want to live with integrity. And, you know, another way of, of saying that compassion piece is connecting to what you love, like connecting to the heart's reason for practicing. So this week, the ox herding picture is called Seeing the Traces. And I'll share my screen so you can see what seeing the traces looks like. This is the image. This is one of the images. This is from Muman uh, Roshi's book. Muman Roshi was um, Shoto Harada Roshi's teacher. So kind of simple detection, the depiction right here. We have some hoof prints and we have us <laughs> seeing those traces and following them. I'll put the, um, the text that I'm using in the chat. This is Muman Roshi's book for those of you who just want to have access to it. So the uh, teaching that goes along with this image or the stanza that goes along with this image is, with the aid of the sutras, you gain understanding. 
through study of the teachings you find traces. You see clearly the many vessels are all one metal and the 10,000 things are all yourself. But if you do not distinguish correct from incorrect, how will you recognize true from false? Since you have yet to pass through that gate, only tentatively have you seen the traces. I'll talk a little bit about what um, this stanza is pointing to. You know, the first part is pretty, pretty clear. They're reminding us that Dharma study is an important aspect of practice. So it says, by the aid of the sutras and by, by inquiring into the teachings, you've come to understand something. You found the traces. So Dharma study is, you know, as I was talking about, it's, it's reminding ourselves of the teachings, reading the sutras, listening to Dharma talks, reading the chants, uh, listening to podcasts of Dharma, reading articles. All of these are ways, reading poems for some of us, that's a, a great way of connecting to Dharma teachings uh, through like Mary Oliver's poems or through some other poet that really brings you into the present moment, reminds you of what's true beyond your narratives. So I want to read something um, that Muman Roshi says in his commentary, because I think sometimes we get mixed messages about uh, study in the Zen tradition. So he says, first we must study the sutras and ponder the records left by the teachers of the past in order to determine where our own nature is. Sometimes you hear it said that Zen monks do not have to read books or study. When did this misleading idea get started? It's ridiculous to think that this could possibly be true. We say Zen is a separate transmission outside of the scriptures, but it is only because there is a teaching that something could be transmitted separate from it. If there was no teaching necessary in the first place, you could not speak of a transmission separate from it. If we do not first study the sutras and ponder the records of the ancients, we will end up going off in the wrong direction altogether. The ancient teachers engaged in all branches of scholarship and studied all there was to study, but just through scholarship alone, they were not able to settle what was bothering them. It was then that they turned to Zen. That is why their Zen has real power and diamondism. If you have no understanding of Buddhism or no knowledge of the words of Dharma, it doesn't matter how many years you sit, your zazen will be all futile. So that's from Muman Roshi, and I'll say a little bit more about that. So Chosen Roshi always used to say, read only as much as inspires you to practice. I think I shared that last week. Because we, we have a tendency to read a lot and think we understand. Yet, and this is kind of, you know, part of the paradox or part of the balancing of different 
teachings and voices. Yet if we don't familiarize ourselves with the Dharma view over and over again, it's easy to get confused. The Dharma teachings are, are really radical. And they invite us into ways of being that are not habitual or not part of our cultural conditioning, not reinforced um, by our society. You know, they invite us to hold attention of opposites, to tra- transcend and include duality, to turn towards compassion instead of blame, to move towards pain and suffering, to look directly into their cause to enter the realm of non-conceptuality, to choose presence or hereness as opposed to distraction. And our modern human conditioning tells us to avoid pain, to blame others or ourselves if something isn't working out, to try harder and really get what we want, to react from fear, to preserve ourselves and our reputation over anything else, to, to be someone who knows, to, to be right, um, to have a concept or to intellectualize reality, to be anywhere but here. You know, there's so many subliminal or not so subliminal messaging that we have of like, no, don't be in your body. Go be on your phone or on your screen or you know, whatever else. So. We need to refresh ourselves with the medicine of the Dharma. We need to keep taking in that view, which we already know. I mean, that's, that's part of this. Like, yes, and this is, this is just such an interesting aspect of the Dharma. It's like, you know, another way it's pointing to what is conditioned and what is unconditioned, because we know deeply the Dharma truths. And oftentimes, you know, sometimes our intellectual mind is like, oh, this is confusing. This doesn't make sense. But something else, and I think you all have felt it on some level, or I I don't think you would be here, wouldn't keep coming back. Like something else knows the Dharma truths. It resonates. And that's not our conditioning. That's something else. But because our conditioning can be very strong, we don't listen to that. We need to be reminded to get it reflected back. There's so many um, people who have been practicing in the Sangha for a long time that have told me, like, oh, when I started coming to the Zendo, like, I thought everything was weird. I didn't think I fit into this group at all. I um, didn't understand a single word of what was being said. And yet, like something new that something true was happening here or something like, you know, something in me like could hear the teachings and be like, I don't understand that, but I know that. And that's interesting. It's one way of articulating it, perhaps. And so, and so, you know, the studying of the teachings, there's many layers to this. And I want to I talk about that too, because like Muman Roshi was saying, like, it's not just studying the teachings, yet studying the teachings are important. And so perhaps we've all had the experience of, 
like I was saying, like, you know, hearing a teaching, not being understanding it, not maybe not even remembering it. I've had this experience a number of times where I gave a Dharma talk and someone was like, oh, that was like such a meaningful talk. It really touched me. And I was like, oh, what part? And they're like, oh, I don't really remember. <laughs> but so, so that's not a problem. It's like we hear something. We can't really articulate what it was. We can't even maybe even remember it. But we know like something was touched. Something is maybe now inspired to practice or feels like validated or seen. I think a lot of times that's part of this arousing the bodhicitta and like like beginning to discover the traces of our true self is like we, we start to feel or resonate like, oh, someone, the Dharma teachings or the Dharma teacher through the te- like through their articulation of the teachings is seeing something about me that's true that doesn't really get like validated or um, isn't really allowed in a lot of other contexts of my life but here when I come to sitting like it's allowed and that kind of verification is important for us to like you know be touched in that way and to begin to trust like oh there is something I know here. There is something I'm resonating with. There is a truth that's beyond words that's being communicated that, I, that I'm getting tastes of, that I'm getting traces of. So that's like one aspect of hearing the teachings. Another is, you know, as we keep hearing the teachings or keep studying, we may develop some conceptual understanding of the path or some of the, like, the basic principles of Buddhism. And that's helpful too. Like Dan Brown used to say, we need to have our rational minds on board to do this deep work of dismantling, of looking into the heart, of uprooting our fixed beliefs, of letting ourselves feel the immensity of compassion that we're capable of. And to really begin to trust that. And so, like, yes, having an understanding or being able to even articulate or even have this feeling of like, oh, interconnection. Yeah, that teaching makes sense to me. Or oneness, that teaching makes sense to me. Or impermanence, that teaching makes sense to me. Or the Zazen instructions, you know, like just having this basic framework of what are we doing here? is important and then at some point and this can happen the first day you sit down and hear a teaching or over time and it usually is a little bit of both we have like moments where we're really touched by a teaching and moments that it gradually seeps in but we start to have direct experiences of the teaching it could be in zazen it could be um, in between sitting periods, it could be at work, it could be in unknown times, but like we might have this, you know, sometimes it's accompanied by a line in the chant, like take the backward step or turn the light to shine within. And like we have this experience of maybe the meditator falling away or, um, or a sense of, of oneness, of non-separation or a sense of just loving kindness coming to the front and maybe it's like at an unexpected time like at the grocery store or um, when talking to a friend and it's like oh wow like that's 
that's what they were talking about sometimes that that's the thought or oh wow like that's the teaching that's part of what this teaching was pointing to and what's interesting is like that happens over and over and over again sometimes with the same teaching like I've had the thought so many times maybe once a year of like oh that's what Sazen is like I I get it now like I was what I was doing before what I thought I was doing before is actually a lot simpler than that and like that you know that keeps happening and that's good it should as we keep practicing this you know Hogan Hogan said I like what I wish for you he said this at some point like what I wish for you is that like every year you can look back at your understanding the the year prior and just see like how foolish you were. And so it's like we keep, you know, we're just human. <laughs> and so like the transmission of the teachings comes like that. It comes as we're ready and it's more of this spiral where we encounter the same teachings over and over again and like, you know, more of us is available to receive it. And so it goes in in a different way. It touches something different. It makes sense in a different way. Sometimes these kinds of experiences could be like, I knew it and now I know it. And, you know, these kinds of tastes of awakening or tastes of our true nature and all the myriad expressions are, they, they're like the seeds of faith. At some point you begin to realize like, oh, no one can take that away. Like the intellectual mind could doubt that teaching and yet I know it to be true now. And still like, yes, we, we still work with doubt and the, the doubter can, can sometimes talk us out to of oh you didn't even experience that but some part of us really knows we did so in the way that this um, teaching is being articulated in this stage-based model of the ox herding pictures I'm talking about it more in this kind of long arc of practice and so at this place it can feel more like a pendulum swinging of like you know we have these tastes of awakening and then we're kind of like back in the heart of our suffering and then we have these kind of tastes and it it doesn't it seems kind of random like we're applying the teachings we're doing zazen as best we can we're like listening to dharma talks we have moments of like yes like oh yes like open to loving kindness or oh, like this is what a calmer, quieter mind feels like. And then we have other times where it's just like torrential rains or confusion. And, and that's you know, part of the process. Like eventually it won't feel so much like we're on a pendulum that's just kind of swinging in random chaotic order. Um, but we'll have more of a sense of the path, but this isn't like in this kind of longer arc of practice, this is sometimes a stage, and the stage we come, can come back to. But in the, in the more of the day-to-day kind of contemplating of this teaching, 
like that's one of the things I'm I'm loving about the ox herding pictures is that you know they can speak to this larger arc of practice but they also can speak to like oh what is it like to to practice with the the finding the traces the second ox herding picture and so that would be like the invitation to contemplate a teaching maybe a chant or a sutra or something you read a poem and and reading it and then throughout the day practicing it like coming back to the words and what that invokes maybe it's a question maybe it's a remembering maybe it's a way of coming back into presence or touching into loving kindness or compassion and this is very much how we work with the precepts in our tradition or or a koan is that you're like holding this teaching like lightly but it's like a a thread that you're using to stitch your life and so if you were like working with a precept you might be contemplating the precept I vow not to kill but to cherish all life and you're like looking at oh what does it mean to cherish in this moment what does non-killing look like in this moment with body speech and mind and so that's you know one way of really practicing this is like you're really working with a teaching and letting yourself internalize it as a practice and then letting like through that letting reflection happen letting intellectual understanding happen like getting it getting the teaching and then also letting yourself have more direct experiences of the teaching if you bring it into your zazen and bringing it into that mind beyond conceptuality and seeing like oh What's the heart of this? How is this teaching true right here, right now? How, how can this teaching practice me? So the, you know, the invitation there is that the traces of awakening are you know, inherent in our life. And the invitation is how do we connect to those traces, the traces of awakening or the traces of true self in the midst of our lives through our practice. And that's like, Dogen Zaji has this phrase, practice awakening. It's like, oh, we are practicing our awakening. We're practicing recognizing those traces of self that is left for us to discover, to wake us up. We're practicing entering the Dharma gates of our life as they appear. So the poem, um, you know, each of the ox herding pictures has a stanza that's a more prose teaching and then a poem. So the poem is, by the water, under the trees, scattered are the traces of the lost. Scattered are the traces of the lost. Fragrant woods are growing thick. Did they find the way? However remote, over the hills and far away, the cow or ox may wander. 
her nose reaches the heavens. None can conceal it. We're also being reminded that though you're in this stage of the traces of awakening, it cannot be hidden. It is inherent to who we are. We're not ever for a moment separated from our true nature, from that ox reaching her nose towards the heavens. I'll end the talk here. Thank you all for your practice.